Welcome to the Counterfeit Sleep Podcast, where we help you answer today's most important health and wellness question. Is your sleep making you tired? I'm your host, Tara Clancy. Join me each week for the stories, the science, and the solutions to help you banish counterfeit sleep and have more energy, increased productivity, and a reflection in the mirror you love. Go ahead and subscribe and you'll get each new episode as soon as it goes live. If your sleep is making you tired, it's time to change that and get back to being you. A high-performance workforce starts with high-performance sleep. Do you know how your workforce measures up? Find out today. Take the Sleep Performance Assessment. Learn more at hypersleep.com. That's H-I-P-E-R sleep.com. The Counterfeit Sleep Podcast, Season 1, Episode 51. And so it continues. The disruption of just about everything in the way we do business, including how we attract and retain top talent. Offerings like video interviews, remote opportunities, and even full work-from-home positions are now common. These and other employee-centric modifications make a business more attractive to top talent. But in this high-stakes game of talent attraction, there is one offering that's been overlooked, and it's a valuable one, valuable to both employees and employers alike. So what is this valuable but overlooked offering? Your workplace health care plan. When it comes to health care plans, the old business model persists, and not surprisingly, It's a model that benefits the insurance companies. In a nutshell, you pay more and you get less. How much more? According to the Kaiser Family Foundation, premiums have tripled since 1999. Despite this increase in premiums, deductibles have gone up. And the levels of service? Well, they have not gone up. So as an employer... You're paying more, your employees are paying more, and all for the same product. There's no ROI. And there's no other part of a business plan where this would be acceptable. But it's overlooked because, well, the healthcare industry is a behemoth and has long had the upper hand. But that changes when you find out there is an alternative to paying higher premiums and higher deductibles. And in this Business Impact Series episode, you get the insider's view of this alternative to old-school healthcare benefits. We welcome Nelson Griswold. Nelson is a two-time best-selling author and the nationally recognized authority on delivering high-quality, affordable health care. He's a columnist for Employee Benefit News Magazine and chairman of the Ascend Conference that is disrupting employer health care. A dynamic keynote speaker, Nelson has spoken at every major industry conference, including the prestigious World Health Care Congress. Listen in and learn how your workplace health care plan 
repels the top talent you've worked so hard to attract. The jaw-dropping truth behind the online physician directories and the simple steps to take control of your workplace healthcare plan and control costs and quality. Let's jump into this eye-opening and empowering conversation with healthcare benefits visionary, Nelson Griswold. Hello, Nelson, and welcome to the Counterfeit Sleep Podcast. Sarah, it is a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much. I've been so excited about talking to you since I guess we met back a few months ago. And, you know, when I heard about what you do, I know you're a nationally recognized authority on delivering high quality, affordable employer health care. And also, uh, you know, you have your public policy ba- background from your previous career. Um, for those two things, I was really, really keen on talking to you, especially now considering benefits is really a critical piece of planning for the year for business. And then if we can kind of uh, segue into how benefits have evolved over time, what trends you're seeing, that sort of thing, and then kind of finish up by giving some concrete thoughts or strategies that people can take forward to really optimize their decisions and around benefits for the coming year. That would be great. So if we can, yeah, if we can just sort of start up with that, why is consideration of employee benefits really such an important part um, when you're planning for the year ahead? Well, if you are an employer and you are offering healthcare to your employees um, you are, you, you probably have healthcare as your second biggest operating expense mm. after payroll. At the very least, it is third after perhaps uh, maybe you buy a lot of steel for your manufacturing, but it is the second or third largest line item in your budget. The question I ask employers is what are, what are your business objectives for spending let's say $3 million a year on your employee's health care. Because if you don't spend it, that's pretty much bottom line money. That's bottom line dollars. It's going to go back on your balance sheet that is going to give you a lot more profit, a lot more EBITDA for the, for the year. And the, the answers are, are pretty consistent. There are really only four reasons I've heard from employers who, from CEOs, CFOs, business owners, for why they spend that money. And if you're a business owner, that's out of your own pocket money. If you're a CEO or CFO, it's out of the company's money. You're responsible for that, but it's not your money. But if you're an mm. owner, that is your money. Right. Four reasons. One of one or more of four reasons, usually more than one. Retention. I, I want to keep my people here. I want to mm-hmm. keep my employees at my company on the job. I want to be able to attract the top talent. I want to be competitive for those top employees that I need to hire for those top uh, job candidates. Third has to do with productivity and morale. I want my people happy. I want them excited to work here. I don't want them to leave. I want to attract the best talent, but I want them to be motivated to do their best job and be more productive because they feel like we're really taking care of them, which is the fourth. I want to take care of my people. 
Mm. which is the one, you know, that's the one that, that hits you right here because these are employers, these are business leaders, these are bosses that love their people. And they know that without their people, their company is nothing. True. So the next question I ask these employers is after affirming those, those excellent business objectives, can we take just a minute to see how well your current health plan is helping you achieve those objectives. Mm. Is your retention where you think it should be given you're spending 3 million or whatever you're spending on your employers, on your employees' healthcare? The answer is invariably no. Mm. We've got people leaving all the time. Turnover is a problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, but, but then you're able to hire the best candidates, right? Because you're offering healthcare and you're spending $3 million a year. And they go, no, we're, we're not particularly competitive. Hmm. Hmm, okay. So you're not retaining your employees. You're not particularly competitive in getting the top talent. Well, how about productivity? Are your people as productive and as high, their morale as high as you think it should be given you're spending $3 million a year on their healthcare? No. <laughs> it's, it's not where we think it should be. All right. Well, so your attention's not where it should be. You're not competitive for the top talent and you're not getting the productivity gains that you think you should be getting, even though you're spending $3 million a year, but taking care of your employees. And I love that, that objective because that's the right way to think as, as a boss. Let me ask you this. Uh, Do you know the deductible that your employees have to pay out of their own pocket before the insurance company pays a penny. And it's usually in the three to $5,000 range, sometimes higher. Yeah. Yeah. They are substantial. Yeah. So let's say it's $3,000. They also have an out of pocket that for most companies is the, is the government's out of pocket limit of $8,500. So if you have a lot, need a lot of healthcare, you're going to pay $8,500 out of pocket before the insurance company takes over and covers everything else. My question to the executive is, if you were designing a healthcare plan, if you had the opportunity to design that healthcare plan to really take care of your employees the way you want to take care of them, would you have put a $3,000 deductible and made them pay $8,500 out of pocket before the insurance company takes over completely? And they go. No, no, right, right. Not. So, so what so, is that? Yeah. So, uh, do you have any other business unit where you're spending three million dollars a year and getting zero ROI? Mm. And that's the problem with healthcare for employers is they're spending the money. And by the way, premiums have gone up every year since 1999 really every, every year oh my gosh oh since since 1999 they have tripled <gasps> according to kaiser family foundation they've tripled Unbelievable. well here's the problem while while those premiums have been going up at an absurd rate 186 percent mm. since 1999 adjusted for inflation employee wages in this country has have gone up 18 percent. Oh, no. It's 1999. Mm-hmm. So the employers have been paying more for their employees, but they've been giving it to the insurance company. And then not getting anything for that investment that the employer's making. 
So yeah. what we're doing is disrupting this old model of healthcare, employer healthcare. Uh, the problem is the insurance company that really shouldn't surprise anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, United Healthcare, which is the largest health insurance company in the country, United Healthcare posted a first quarter profit of four point three billion dollars. Wow, billion with a B. Billion with a B. Mm -hmm. I have no problem with profit. I'm a capitalist. I love profit, but the problem is they keep making more money on the same or a lesser health plan. Right. right. It's like, it would be like buying the same car every year, but it never changes, but the price keeps going up dramatically yeah. or I can't pay that. Okay. Well, we can, pay you, you can charge a little less, but we have to take your radio out. Right. Right. Or your yeah. air conditioning out. It's like, well, that's not the same car. Mm, sorry. Right. And then so simultaneously, what, like you said, not only are the premiums increasing, but the employee um, um, salaries, I guess, for lack of a better term, are are not rising with the same. So the, the employee is going to feel the impact of those deductibles even oh, more. Right. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's brutal. A, yes. And the deductibles have been rising way faster than inflation, certainly faster than employee wages have been rising at 18 percent over 20 years. That's less than one percent or roughly one percent a year. Mm. So, so that's the problem. So we're trying, we're working to change healthcare so that employers can take control of their healthcare plan so they can control the costs and the quality. Right. So we're taking, we're increasing the quality of the healthcare employees get by making sure that they go only to the best, highest quality doctors. Look, doctors, uh, there was a, a recent article in one of the medical journals and it was tongue-in-cheek because you know when you hear the title, it was tongue-in-cheek, but it's true. 50% of doctors are below average. <laughs> right? It's funny. Yeah, it's, it's funny, funny, but you're and right. It was, is true. <laughs> but these were and these were medical researchers, but they, they had a sense of humor. But mm -hmm. they they went on to say that the doctors at the lower end of the spectrum, the ones in the bottom 20, 30%, are hurting people. Mm, they're dangerous gosh. they're making they bad diagnoses okay so how about this um walmart started a program a number of years ago called centers of excellence mm -hmm. and if you're a walmart employee and you have a heart problem a serious heart problem you get diagnosed needing surgery if you want walmart to pay the bill and this is still the case today you and your caregiver spouse friend family member We'll get it on an airplane. Walmart will pay for it. And you're going to Cleveland Clinic or another very high quality heart center. Walmart saved a bunch of money doing this. And I was talking to Tom Emmerich, who, who instituted this program. He was director of global benefits for Walmart at the time. And I said, Tom, how did you negotiate the prices to be able to save all that money? He said, we didn't negotiate any prices. So, so how did it come into play? How did the saving? Yeah. Where did the savings come from? You're absolutely right. right. Oh, about 40% of the people who went to Cleveland clinic, for instance, to have heart surgery were sent home. Really? You don't need heart surgery. Oh my. So they're certain. So, so that's going back to that subpar doctor population. They're saying they're misdiagnosing it essentially a cardiac problem. And then when uh -oh. you go to a, a, a more 
expert kind of doctor, they're able to give you a more. Yeah. So, so for the price of a, a flight, <laughs> the Walmart is actually saving a ton of money by not going through um, having employees go through unnecessary and probably costly procedures. Oh, very costly. And more to the, more to the point, think about this, that patient didn't get their chest cracked open. Yeah. For no reason whatsoever. We like to say that the most expensive medical claim or bill is the one that shouldn't have happened. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is make sure, by the way, that's nothing more than a second opinion. It's an expensive second opinion because you've got to go somewhere else to get it. But uh, Johns Hopkins and Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic, I know Mayo, but I believe those others, they don't have one doctor do the diagnosis. They have five doctors and three of them have to agree, maybe four. Uh In other words, it's not, it's a committee. Yeah. Because we don't want to make the wrong diagnosis. We're going to make sure we get this right. Uh, and and uh, Mayo Clinic did a study and discovered they because they're basically doing second opinions. Very few people go to Mayo as their uh, hospital, right, or as their doctor. So they realized we're doing a lot of second opinions. What's the outcome of that? So they did a study, they did research. They discovered that the number of diagnoses they saw from patients who came to Mayo that were absolutely correct. The diagnosis was correct. The treatment recommended was correct. 100% agreed with it. That percentage was 12%. 12% only? 12%. Staggering. The percentage of diagnoses that were 100% wrong, 21%. Mm. One in five. Wow. Totally wrong. Yeah. Totally wrong diagnosis. So we're trying to, we're working to, we don't try. There is no try, only do or do not, said Yoda. (laughs) We're working, we're working to implement second opinions. The insurance company knows this. They know this. I know this. You don't think United Healthcare and Aetna and Cigna and Blue Cross and Humana know this? They do. They don't require second opinions. Why not? It's the cheapest way to avoid unnecessary care. Right. Because they like having those doctors in their network and they don't want to make the doctors mad. And the cost of health care going up when health care costs go up, it drives up premiums, Mm. but you have to pay for the insurance. That means the, the insurance companies make more money. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're they're, more revenue, right? The revenue goes up. Yeah. They, they're, they're really disincentivized for their own reasons, their own profitability. That's a, that's a a bad model. (laughs) It's a a great model for them and their shareholders. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a bad model for the employers and the employees. Yeah. Um, One last thing I'll mention on this. Um, when let's say you're with, it doesn't matter which we call them the Bucas, Blue Cross United, uh, Cigna, Aetna, and Humana, the Bucas. So whichever of the big insurance companies you're with, if you need a surgeon and your doctor doesn't recommend one, or you want to choose one independently, you go to their website and you go to the, the physician directory. When you, when you type in, I need a heart surgeon in this area, this zip code, you will get a list of names. But that list of names is randomly selected from all of the heart surgeons. 
And when you go back tomorrow and you ask this, do the same query, you get a different group of heart surgeons. Wow. Think of it as a big wheel and the mm -hmm. doctors are on this wheel and they turn the wheel every day to give all the doctors an equal shot at getting business. Yeah. So it reminds me of like when you walk into a diner and they're like, you're like, can I sit over there? Like, and, but they want to seat you over here and you realize it's because that waitress is the next one up. You know? That's exactly <laughs> saying that's exactly yeah. the, 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 the mind, the mindset, the thought process, but here's what that big wheel with all the doctor's names on it reminds me of. It reminds me of the cylinder in a revolver oh where you have God. only one button, uh, only one bullet in that cylinder and you're spinning it and then you close it and you put it to your head and you play Russian roulette. roulette. Yeah, yeah. So maybe you get the best heart surgeon in the area and maybe you get Dr. Hodad. Mm. Hands of death and destruction. Mm. You don't know. And, yeah. and, and the hospitals, the, the insurance companies know which are the best doctors, which are the dangerous doctors, which are the safe hospitals, which are the dangerous hospitals. They won't tell you. They can't mm -hmm. because the, the, all those doctors and hospitals are in a network that the insurance company runs, their preferred provider organization or PPO. Mm -hmm. And they have a contract with those healthcare providers that says, we will not prefer or advantage any one of you over another. Wow. An actual contract for that. I know. By the way, who wrote the contract? The insurance company wrote the contract. They can't say, well, we can't do it because we have a contract. They wrote it. The problem is it leaves you, the patient, you, the employee at the mercy of fate. Yeah. Which names come up and which one do you choose? You have no guidance. Yeah. There are health plans that we work with that guide you away from the dangerous doctors and to the top quality doctors. Mm. And that's, that's what I want in my health plan. Absolutely. I can, I can, I want the same thing, you know, and it's funny when you mentioned just, uh, we were talking about help uh, the cardiac disease and, and heart procedures and everything before I did a, an interview with a, a woman, um, uh, a, a few uh, episodes ago, she woke up in the middle of the night and had all the symptoms of a heart attack and, you know, like had to like drag herself over to the phone and gets into the ER. And, I, and it, luckily they, they diagnosed her as having just a panic attack, which it wasn't, it was related to counterfeit sleep. She ultimately found out. A high performance workforce starts with high performance sleep. Do you know how your workforce measures up? Find out today. Take the sleep performance assessment. Learn more at hypersleep.com. That's H-I-P-E-R sleep.com. But I'm just thinking, what if she had gotten one of the, uh, you know, below average doctors that we were joking about before, but somebody who had said, oh, yeah, it looks like all the signs of a, you know, heart attack. And if she, you know, like that, that there's such serious ramifications right there in that, that misdiagnosis type thing. Well, not only can they make mistakes, but they're, they're trained and incentivized to, to have a bias. So mm -hmm. let's say your, your knee is hurting, bothering you a lot. You go into uh, the, uh, you get, you get to an orthopedic surgeon and he looks at it and he goes, well, yeah, that's, we're going to need to give total knee replacement. Well, here's the reality. You may need a total knee replacement. I don't know. 
He thinks you do. He may actually believe you do because he doesn't get paid if he sends you to physical therapy. Mm. He only gets paid if he cuts your knee open and puts a new knee in. Uh, And so there are doctors uh, who are extremely gifted and skilled at, let's say, total knee replacement, but every knee they see is a surgery. Mm -hmm. We don't want that doctor in our network. We don't want that doctor available to our clients. We want the second best doctor who goes, yes, surgery. No, no, no. Go get physical therapy because I'm not cutting on you. Right, right. I can share a personal experience on that. I was having crazy uh, hip pain on my, my left hip uh, where like it hurt when I sat, it hurt when I walked, it hurt all the time. And I'm pretty active. I even rollerblade still all that stuff. And I was like getting to the point where I like, I am going to need to have this hip replaced. But luckily I went to a doctor who clearly from our conversation was in the upper echelon here. And he checked everything. He said, no, your joint, your hip joint is good. And he looked, he said, it's actually your right ankle. Your right ankle is weak and rolling a little bit. It's putting undue pressure on that left hip. And that's why you're having the problem. And so I worked on the ankle hip problem resolved. So I think this whole idea that you're talking about of really getting to these better doctors that really are not incentivized to do their procedures, but incentivized more to help, you know, help the person be healthy and stuff, then that's really where we want to go in general. Well, we're and what you're describing is called value-based medicine. And the idea is the doctor's job is to keep the patient healthy, mm. not, not keep them sick. So we, we, before we started the uh, podcast, you and I were talking and I mentioned Chris Rock uh, has a bit where he says, doctors aren't going to cure anything because there's no money in the cure. The money's in the medicine. Mm. Well, the money's in the treatment, not sending you to physical therapy to a jar or to a podiatrist to, to help fix your, your, your weak ankle. Uh, It's surgery. That's where I make my money. Let me give you a worse, worst case, worst case exam. It's unfortunately way too common. One of uh, the CEO of a company that is in one of our plans, his wife went to the doctor and the doctor said, we need to take your gallbladder out. Mm-hmm. Well, they did not run through our medical team and, and clear it with the medical team uh, because she would have been told and her doctor would have been told gallbladder surgery is the second most common unnecessary surgery really? after hysterectomy after hysterectomies. Mm. And the problem isn't getting your gallbladder out. It's just that's unnecessary trauma on the body and it's unnecessary cost. The danger is when there is a complication Mm. for the surgery, but this woman didn't run this procedure through our medical team in, in her plan. And she had the gallbladder surgery. Her surgeon, I believe nicked an artery. Oh, but whatever it was, it, it was a huge complication. Oh. And so over the next six months, Tara, she was in and out of surgeries, oh, working my. to fix the problem until after six months after the surgery, she died. <gasps> Actually. Oh my God. Of gallbladder surgery. 
Oh, that's horrible. Incredible, frankly, totally unnecessary. Two, two points. When we heard about this after the fact, uh, our medical management team looked up the doctor for his quality scores. His quality scores are based on data that doctor submits to the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare. The doctor, so it's, he or himself? The doctor <laughs> submits, you have to submit under penalty of law, accurate data about your, your surgeries, your performance, et cetera, uh, in the OR. He was a 14 out of 100. Oh, my. In other words, Terry, he was a really bad doctor, which yes. we would have determined and told the patient who may still have chosen to use him because people make Ill Ill illogical decisions all the time. Here's the other note. The hospital was contacted by the benefit advisor who works, one of our benefit advisors who worked with that company. And they said, look, um, as you know, this patient died six months after a botched gallbladder surgery. The, the intervening surgeries before she died, combined with the original surgery, uh, has now mounted to $600,000 in medical bills. You're not going to charge my client that, are you, given what happened? Mm. And the hospital spokesman, hospital official executive said, well, none of that was our fault. Oh, wow. And they charged the patient, oh. which means the health plan, yeah. $600,000. And the doctor got paid for every surgery to repair the problem that he caused in the first place. Oh, my gosh. Bad incentives all the way through the healthcare system. So it starts with getting the quality doctor and doing a second opinion, even on the quality doctor. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely they see the merit stress. of it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's what's going in the healthcare system. And the biggest problem are health plans based on insurance companies mm. because they have no incentive to reduce the cost of care and they are prohibited by their own contracts from warning you of dangerous doctors, bad hospitals, and guiding you to the best health care. Wow. Wow. So that in and of itself is something that any company looking at their insurance plans, you know, now or at any time should just be really aware of and, and take into serious consideration. Hmm. Um, let me ask you another question. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, there's a lot of talk about wellness and, and even preventative care. And I think that has been an evolution over time. Um, can you talk about that a little bit in terms of what considerations or what trends are important there? Well, well, wellness. <laughs> well, it's so it's, it so happens that wellness has become a very popular answer to the cost of health care. Well, we, we at our company, an HR director says, we're going to institute a wellness program so that our employees will get healthier and need less health care. Nothing wrong with the concept. The problem is what, what passes for wellness programs reinforces positive behavior that people who are already doing that positive behavior are doing. Okay. So the, the offering the really nice branded company branded gym bag to, to, if you run a 4k, 
It simply means you're going to give a gym bag to the guys and gals who are already running 4K. Because I'm, I'm not, and you, you didn't get, you don't get a body like this running 4Ks. (laughs) I'm not going to go train and run a 4K for a gym bag that I won't use because I don't go to the gym. Yeah. And a lot of what our wellness plans are well intentioned, but they allow the company to check the box. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Here's where wellness has to go to be effective. It has to be targeted at areas where employees have identifiable issues. They're trending towards pre-diabetes or they are pre-diabetic. If we can determine that through a biometric test, in other words, we're going to take some blood, um, we, we, can, we can contact that employee and say, look, um, you're, you're trending towards diabetes, full-blown diabetes. We'd like to help you reverse that trend that you are on. Uh, would you like to be in this program? We'll even incentivize you. We'll waive part of your, we'll waive your deductible or we'll give you a premium holiday in November and December, or we'll reduce your monthly premium. There are all sorts of ways to incentivize participation in the program. It's not, but it's not mandatory. It is, it's voluntary. Mm-hmm. It's addressing those sorts of problems, which gets to your expertise and your specialty, which sleep is, uh, you know, it's not as easy to, to identify a sleep problem is not as easy to identify as prediabetes or, or uh, other conditions like obesity, smoking, things like that. But to the extent that you are able to identify that, that's a legitimate area of intervention and uh, not prevention, but, but uh, reclaiming a healthy sleep habit for that, for that employee. And I think everybody understands, well, maybe they don't, but uh, I think a lot of people understand how important sleep is to the overall health, but we think of it in terms of duration of sleep, right? Right. So I got my eight hours. Well, were they a good eight hours? I'm preaching to the choir here. I know, (laughs) Yeah. but, but, but I, I, but I want, I want everybody listening to know that it's addressing these sorts of issues, sleep, um, bad, by bad, poor diets yeah. that are leading to obesity, which leads to diabetes, which leads to amputations, which leads to all manner of comorbidities. I love that phrase. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Comorbidities. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I, first time I heard it, I looked and said, what's a comorbidity? Or what are co- co- what are comorbidities? They said all the other sicknesses you get because of the sickness you have. Exactly. You know, and so right? and that's the thing that I love about my area too, because the range of comorbidities, even the diabetes that you mentioned, type two bi- diabetes, that goes hand in hand with people who are getting counterfeit sleep. And the, the thing I always think of too is um, if we look at a known sleep problem, like say um, clinical sleep apnea how much money is going into helping people with their CPAP machines and just the testing of it alone. But what, what people don't realize is that there's a huge range between getting healthy restorative sleep and having clinical sleep apnea. So what if we can identify people who are on that continuum, they're no longer getting, you know, healthy restorative sleep, but they're a far cry from clinical, clinical sleep apnea, but they're starting to feel the effects of it. If we can help them at that point, 
before they've marched down that that you know that uh, line, we can have you know we can make huge gains and huge changes really. Well, and in, in what we're talking about here is getting to foundational issues. Yes. Sleep, diet. I don't want to sound hypocritical. Hydration. Exercise, yeah. exercise, hydration. Yeah. I'm I'm not the I'm not your poster child. <laughs> um, but just because I'm not living it doesn't mean I can't articulate it. I just don't have quite the credibility you do. <laughs> but but that's that's you know we so earlier a few minutes ago when I was talking about what we're doing to change healthcare for employees and 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 by the way the the amazing thing is when you drive people you steer people you guide people to the highest quality care you know what happens to the cost Tara it's counterintuitive costs go down because the best surgeons don't take very long to do their work because they're very good at it and they do it often. And yeah. so they're in and out of that operating room. The hospital can't charge you as much. Oh, the doctor point. doesn't have to charge you as much because he does it every day. It's a yeah. for him. It's a volume thing, but he's not overdoing it. He's not seeing, he's not seeing every knee as a total knee replacement or every hip as a hip replacement, for mm -hmm. instance, mm -hmm. to your story. Um, and, and so that quality quality of care goes up and it brings the cost down. Mm. And you think, well, lower cost, you're spending less on healthcare. I'm not getting as good. No, it's just the opposite. It's how you get the best healthcare. Yeah. You don't get the best care by spending less. You get less by going to the highest quality care, you spend less. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. We're talking there about the supply side of healthcare, the, 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 the care that's being offered by doctors, surgeons, hospitals, diagnostic testing, et cetera. What we're talking about here is really more important, but it's easier to affect the supply side and bring the prices down by raising the quality. What you are doing is addressing the demand side of healthcare. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's harder because we're, we, and we see this in, in, there are some good programs like yours in the workplace but it's hard to get people to do it because it requires a change of habits. Right. And that's harder than me telling the hospital, no, you can't charge that much. That's 10 times what Medicare pays you. You aren't, you're not, we're not going to pay it. And they agree. And we end up lowering the price of the yeah. hospital bill. Yeah. That's easy. Right. Right. Asking right. me to go to the gym. Not so easy. Well, yeah, you asked so, me, that's easy. Getting me to go, not so easy. Yeah. So the interesting thing in what you're saying is when in, in just in listening to what you're saying, and I've never really thought about healthcare in the way that you're describing, and it. it's just such a, you know, you, you just bring such a rich kind of perspective to it. Um, once you. you start to me now, I, I recognize the value in looking at it this way because the benefit is so great, right? I end up avoiding things that I wouldn't necessarily need, costs will be lower, all that stuff. And I actually look at the um, the, the wellness piece and, and the sleep in particular in the same way, because it is a change, as you're saying, but once you're able to educate people about the benefits of, of it, 
And once you're able to edu educate, um, you know, your CEOs and, and your business owners about the value of bringing it to the employees, it really shifts the thinking, you know? So even though it's, it's almost like selling a life insurance policy in a way. I, I talked to a guy once who used to sell life insurance policies and he said, you know, no life insurance policy is, is ever bought. And I was like, what do you mean by that? He's like, it is sold because you're convincing somebody of a need that they don't realize they have. And so it's really the same kind of thing here where if you don't know about it, you don't realize you have need, you don't realize the benefits. That's I think where the education piece becomes so important so that you enlighten people, right? They, they look at it from a new perspective and then all of a sudden it becomes much more palatable, I think, to, to make that shift. So I, I think, uh, I think your, your education piece is phenomenal for that. Well, and thank you. And you, <laughs> you, you just reminded me of something that, that I, if we have a minute, I'd like to share. Yeah. That brings us to the end of part one of this conversation with Nelson Griswold. Tune in to episode 52 and get part two, where you find out the simple steps to take control of your workplace healthcare plan so you can control costs and quality. And in the meantime, download episode 14 to get the story of the woman who woke up believing she was having a heart attack made her way into the ER, only to be told that it was just a panic attack, but really, it was counterfeit sleep. Find out what she went through and how she solved that problem. And while you're at it, subscribe and even leave us a review. We'd love that. A high-performance workforce starts with high-performance sleep. Do you know how your workforce measures up? Find out today. Take the sleep performance assessment. Learn more at hypersleep.com. That's H-I-P-E-R sleep.com. That ends this episode of the Counterfeit Sleep Podcast, where we help you answer today's most important health and wellness question. Is your sleep making you tired? Follow us to get the stories, the science, and the solutions to help you take your counterfeit sleep journey. And leave us a review to help other people find us. Thank you. And remember, if your sleep is making you tired, it's time to change that and get back to being you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.